We still need sales to be able to make connections between problems and solutions. However, the way that sales has been done before is not the way that it is or should be now. So I'm kind of on a mission to change the perspective that we have, the mindset that we all have towards sales to be one that's more positive, one where we're not, we're not, where sales isn't something we do to other people to try to convince or manipulate or push ourselves, but it's actually something that we do with them in collaboration to seek solutions to problems. Hey everyone, George Soto here and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today I'm joined by Carol Mahoney, who's founder at Unbound Growth. Carol, how are you? I'm doing good. It's spring in Maine, so the snow is melted, all things are good. Awesome. You know, it's interesting because I think that we were chatting last time about the fact that we met a while ago. However, like I feel like I know you more than I've actually met you in person, frankly, because I've been following you on social media for so long. And there's actually folks who I've never met in person, but I, like, I feel like I understand the personality and, uh, and those sort of things again through these digital channels. So it's good to connect with you once again. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. And, and I stalk you as well, mostly on Instagram, because that's where I do most of my stalking these days. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just love seeing oceans and warm, sunny palm trees and everything like that. And you have the most adorable dog I've ever seen in the world. So there's that too. Well, I'll show you, Arthur. I don't know where he is right now. He's probably chewing on my shoe. I've had to like get rid of all my carpet. Like it's, <laughs> it's been an interesting ride, but I love them. Like yeah. I just do. It's it's really interesting how that works, how you can fall in love with a, another being like that in such a profound way. But uh, they really it, do become family. Totally right. Man's best friend. But uh, well, let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, your career background. How did you get into sales coaching and, and you know, kind of get into technology and dive into this journey? Yeah, I got into sales. Well, I got into a kicking and screaming, actually. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people, if you ask them how they got into sales, they'll tell you that they got into it by accident. Nobody as a kid was ever, you know, when asked what they wanted to be when they grew up said, I want to be a salesperson. I was definitely not that person. Um, and so I actually started my career in marketing, doing lead generation, uh, doing inbound lead generation. And at the time, I thought it was cutting edge. I thought that the internet was going to replace the need for salespeople because we can find it all online. And when I started my own business, I learned the hard way that we still need sales to be able to make connections between problems and solutions. However, the way that sales has been done before is not the way that it is or should be now. So I'm kind of on a mission to change the perspective that we have, the mindset that we all have towards sales to be one that's more positive, one where we're not we're not, where sales isn't something we do to other people to try to convince or manipulate or push ourselves, but it's actually something that we do with them in collaboration to seek solutions to problems and, and to help people to make decisions, to help them to buy so that they can solve their problems. That's really what sales is about for me. You know, when I was a door-to-door -door salesperson back in graduate school, we had these very interesting trainings and one of the big questions that we would ask ourselves was, what is sales? And so, you know, there were a variety of different, um, you, you know, responses. However, one of them that I remember stu stood out was sales was a transfer of energy. 
you know, mm-hmm. and being able to, you know, transfer that excitement and get people fired up. And I think that certainly the case for, for part of the equation, but if you're not solving those problems, if you're not helping, Sean Shepard said earlier today, it's about helping people get what they want, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, it's one of those questions that has a, a lot of dimensions to, to answer. One of the things I love about your approach is this cognitive behavioral approach that you've taken towards sales leadership and sales performance. And I think it resonates with me pretty deeply because I was a psychology major actually in undergrad and I was of course trying to figure out what the hell was going on in my own head um, and still am now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy was such something that's so powerful uh, for, for many of us around depression and anxiety and some of the associated uh, conditions. What would you say is your definition of, using that cognitive uh, behavioral approach to sales performance? So when I say taking a cognitive behavioral approach to sales performance, what I mean is is if you look at the definition of cognitive behavioral therapy and the approach of it is is, is a uh, a short-term sort of therapy session where the goal is to change your mindsets, the way that you think about certain things, whether it's something that you do or something or a behavior that you have. So if you think of it in terms of how we think becomes what our mindset is and our mindset becomes our behaviors and our behavior behaviors then become our results by taking a cognitive behavioral approach to sales, it answers the question of why is it that I know what to do and I know that I can do it. I just don't seem to do it in the moment that I need to do it. Uh, I think every sales leader has said that even salespeople, when they go back and listen to their own calls are like, why didn't I say that? I knew I should have. I had the idea in my head. It just didn't come out of my mouth. And so cognitive behavioral therapy in sales is really addressing those beliefs and mindsets that we have that prevent us from doing the things that are going, the behaviors that are going to lead us to the results that we're looking for. And so when we're addressing those things in coaching and we're addressing those things in training, it's a way for us to understand how do we get this training to stick so that we actually start to see a behavioral change in our sellers in a way that's more meaningful. And in doing this work with sellers and teaching managers on how to do it, I, I think that's why um, Mark Roberge at Harvard calls me the sales therapist, because I, I'm often talking to people about, so where does that come from? Where, what a belief is in your mind right now? How is that making you feel? And then helping them to develop the thought processes and patterns to replace those negative thought patterns with also then coming up with some strategies, some small, simple things that they can do in their day-to-day life that's going to have an impact in their sales performance. What do some of these behavioral issues or behaviors mm-hmm. look like? Like if, if I'm that sales rep and I'm you know, sort of developing an awareness of myself, my actions, my thoughts, my behaviors, what should I be looking for? So there's, there's actually six different mindsets that I uh, evaluate for and coach with. One of them and one of the strongest ones is a need for approval, right? Like we, as human beings, we are wired into our brains to seek the approval of others because it was survival for us. Like if we were out on our own in the middle of the wilderness, we're not likely to survive. And so being liked by others to be sort of seen as part of a group of people meant safety Mm. and security for us. However, in sales, when we have a need for approval of other people, we want them to like us. We want them to see how smart we are. What happens is that we then won't challenge them. We won't push back. 
we become the yes man or the yes woman. And it makes it harder for people to trust us because we're just telling them what they want to hear because we want them to like us. So we don't ask the tough questions. We don't ask to speak with decision makers in order to get things to happen. That's just one example. Another one um, is what I call controlling emotions, which is when we hear something in our sales calls, whether it's a buying signal that we get excited about or an objection that we have fear of rejection around, then what happens is we get caught up in our heads. We start thinking about things and we're not in the present moment with our buyer. We're that like you had mentioned that transfer of energy. We're not there for that. We're off somewhere else in our minds. And then what happens is that we're not actively listening. And because we're not actively listening, we're not picking up on the things that we need to be drilling into and asking more about in our conversations. You know, there's things like fear of rejection, comfort discussing money. Um, these are all things in mindsets that are negatively impacting us in our sales performance and ability to execute on skills. So if I'm sitting there and I'm in a meeting and I'm an AE or you know, SDR, let's just say, and I'm supposed to be listening, perhaps I'm doing discovery or mixing it into my talk track. And now something is approaching like, okay, it's that time where I have to ask for budget or, you know, whatever framework you use. And now I'm scared and I'm in my head and, and I am now not listening because I'm, I'm saying, oh, here it's coming, here it's coming. I'm, I'm missing all this great contacts, right? Yep. And is that what you're, you're also referring to? Because that's certainly happened to me where I might say something, mispronounce something. It happens to me every day on this show. Like mm -hmm. I am like so critical of myself and the way that I'm communicating. And then I'll just miss stuff, right? Because yeah. next thing you know, I'm like somewhere here, you know, so beating myself up about how I should have done this and that and the other thing. And then of course I've good thing. I'm not selling anything here for the first time in my career. I don't have to sell, but, uh, but I, but I can see my own sort of dynamic and uh, lack of mindfulness, or maybe it is the fact that I can aware, be aware of it shows that maybe I'm, I am developing a little mindfulness, but yeah. how do I, I get over it? So this, the getting over it part that's hard. So getting over it is uh, a combination of things, but it starts by, in order for us to make any kind of a change like this, we have to identify what's motivating, motivating us to do so. What's our personally meaningful goal that we'll do whatever it takes in order to reach that particular goal. And I think that most sellers and most leaders for that matter, look at the quota, the number that they have to attain is the, the motivating reason that, or, or the incentives that we have in our compensation plan. And it's actually quite the opposite. It's like, it's like getting up in the morning and being excited to pay your student loans and taxes and meeting your quota. Like that's what you have to do to either stay out of jail or stay in your house or not lose your job. It's not necessarily something that's gonna motivate you to stretch yourself outside of your comfort zone, unless you're about to get fired. And even then still like, and, and that can even cause like that emotional involvement where you're not present in the moment, where you're worried about your quota, you're worried about paying your bills. It can actually cause these issues. So the first step is identifying what's, what is it that you want to achieve in your life and how does the role that you have in your workplace help you to achieve that? And then by tying your personal goals to your work goals, you can then identify, so meeting my quota actually means this for me. And a lot of times when I go through this stuff with sellers and managers, they find that the thing that they're motivated by, the dollar amount is way higher than their quota would ever be. And that's why they end up going past their quota. 
So the first step is that motivating goal. This next step is, is to create that awareness. Like you just mentioned, like I, I'm mindful of the fact that I'm not present in the moment, but maybe you don't know about all of the beliefs that are underneath all of that or why that's happening to you. So in this case, what I do is I would actually have sellers and managers go through an evaluation where we objectively look at their skills, their strengths, their mindsets, and the beliefs that are contributing to them. And then that then becomes an action plan for the individual. I know that when I start thinking this way, that it impacts my ability to ask good thought-provoking questions and actively listen. And so rather than dealing with a, you need to ask more questions and trying to drill that into them, what I actually do is, is dig into what is preventing you from asking the questions that you already know to ask? What's preventing you from staying in the moment with that particular person? And then what we do is we practice it through role play conversations and role play conversations being not the hypothetical I'm buyer X and you're a seller and you're, and this is the situation it's role played in the, this is the conversation that I have coming up this afternoon and I need to prepare and I need to practice for it. And we're going to practice it over and over again, however many different ways that it could go so that you can start to become comfortable in the situation so that you're uh, being exposed to it as, as one sort of cognitive behavioral therapy technique, where if there's something that you fear, then the, the job of your coach or your trainer or your manager is to start working with you in role play to expose you to it a little bit more so that it gets less scary, less risky, and you start to be able to see a way through it. It's kind of like losing weight. I recently in the pandemic lost about 80 pounds using the same cognitive behavioral approach that I use with sellers. And if you think about it in terms of, we all have our kryptonite, right? Mine's pepperoni pizza. I can't smell a pepperoni pizza and walk away from it. So in order for me to get over that, that belief that I, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not always given to the pepperoni pizza. I had to come up with some, not only just mental strategies, but some actual physical strategies. So in my mind, if I smell pepperoni pizza, there's a thought process that happens behind that, that once I've identified what that process is, I can start to tweak it. I can start to change it. I can start to replace that thought process with something else. Like, I can remember what it is that I want to be and feel like as I'm running down the road or up a trail. I can look at different things that I can do to avoid get having to eat a whole entire pepperoni pizza, like maybe letting myself have one slice of it or making an alternative to the pepperoni pizza that is still cheesy and greasy and good, but maybe not as bad for me. So in selling, we have to do the same thing is that once you've identified the goal that you're going after and the behavior that's in the way, the next step is small increments in starting to change that mindset and behavior. And that's what happens with continuous coaching and training with your manager, hopefully. Awesome. You know, if we think about mental health and the impact that it's happened, that's had on everyone over the last year, certainly. But even before that, I remember having conversations, uh, quite, a, quite a few actually, around mental health, around depression and anxiety that a lot of uh, sales leaders and certainly entrepreneurs have experienced. You saw the folks, I think um, they're called Unbounce or I can't, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking out. It's a couple folks, uh, Tim Clark over at Salesforce. Yep. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. Uh, Unleash. Unleash. Yeah, That's what it is, Unleash. And, uh, and they've been really actively sort of bringing mental health to the top or top of mind for us professionals, which I think is incredible. 
how do you start to integrate these conversations into your management plan, right? And these are like touchy-feely. These are things that generally like the psychologists at work would, would handle, right? The manager would say, okay, hey, HR, I got a situation here, you know, handle it, right? But that's not I don't think that's, that's first of all, that doesn't apply to all businesses because not everyone has an EAP program or have those benefits in-house. Secondly, I think it's about also prevention and making sure that you don't get to that point as mm-hmm. an employee, right? And to your point, particularly now where we're not in person, I think we need to be able to connect and make meaningful connections with our reps as sales leaders out there to make sure that they're happy, healthy, and fulfilled with what they're doing or else not only will their performance drop, but, you know, I mean, it can get quite dicey. My father, as I was telling you when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, is an EAP industrial psychologist. And, um, and he told me, wow, this year was the craziest year in 50 years or whatnot that he's been in, uh, in these in the industry that he had ever experienced so it's pretty nuts what advice would you give leaders around starting to integrate this into their plan and make this conversation less taboo so it actually starts with the goal setting conversation if if you're sitting down with your your team in your in, in one-on-one and asking questions like this comes back to asking questions about what motivates them, what drives them, what they hope to achieve in their own personal life in six months, a year, two years from now, and how working there is going to help. That's the beginning of the conversation is to understand what's going on underneath, what's what's motivating and driving them. It starts to open you up to be able to build a better relationship with them and build that rapport where those sensitive questions when they come up aren't forced, they aren't out of context. So if I'm working with a seller and, and we've worked together and, and they revealed to me like, you know, I, I want to buy a house in three years so that I can support my family coming here and, you know, take care of my aging parents. Like those are things that are important to them that I'm going to ask a little bit more about. I'm going to find out, you know, how they grew up and, you know, how important their relationship is with their grandmother that they feel that they, they should be sending money back home to them to help take care of her. I'm pulling examples of sellers that I've worked with. Um, I had one seller who I worked with who um, him and his wife were trying to have a baby and they needed an extra money in order to get in vitro fertilization so that they could then have the baby and then travel back to their home, home country and bring the child with them. Like these were motivating reasons for them to want to do these things. And so using that as the foundation to then build and ask small questions such as, you know, when they've had a major failure. How did that make you feel? What did you feel that you could do different? You know, what were the things that were going through your head? Has this got in your way before? I mean, they're very basic kinds of therapy like questions that you can ask that it's not like you're giving them advice. It's you're just asking them questions so that they can start to self-actualize and realize what's standing in their way, what the thought pattern that they need to change is. And then they're going to come to you and ask questions like, how do I stop this from happening? What do I need to do? How do I need to change in what ways and circumstances they're open to hearing whatever it is that you might offer them. And then it's just a a matter of, well, have you thought about trying this or what if you did that? How would it be different if you did this particular thing? It's that's kind of what therapy does is it gets us to start being able to think of what are the answers for ourselves. It's not like the therapist has the answers. They're just asking the questions to get you to realize the answer for yourself. So bringing this into your workday conversations 
if you're having multiple conversations with your sellers in a week, like that's one of the things that I recommend for coaching. Don't just do it once a week. Don't even, don't do it just once a month. Have short sessions throughout the week where you can hit on these topics that are important to them. And then have longer sessions too, where you, you can continue to build those relationships. It's those small little check-ins, that little role plays that you do throughout the week, those small changes that then after four, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, they look back and they, and they see the progress that they've made in those small steps. And they suddenly feel more confident that there's more that they can do, but it comes down to motivating goal to build that relationship with them in a way that they see you as being on their side, that you're not going to say, well, this person doesn't have any of their stuff together and we need to get rid of them. Mm. But you're actually there to support and empower them. That's going to change the entire dynamic of your coaching conversations. And what would you say is like the main difference between being a manager and being a coach? The difference between being a manager and being a coach, a manager is trying to move things forward. You're trying to move things through the pipeline. You're trying to move your people towards quota. You're managing processes. But coaching is really about the one-to-one individual that you're working with. Every individual is unique and has unique challenges, even though they appear to have very similar ones. Where those come from and what they are is going to be unique to that individual. So coaching is more about developing the individual, whereas managing is trying to move processes and people along a path. Um, And so if you, and it's not like, for me, coaching is management. Management, you know, as far as managing timetables and spreadsheets shouldn't be more than 20% of your time as a sales manager, 50% of your time or more given the pandemic should be spent in that one-to-one coaching that you can do with your team. Because spreadsheets and reports are not going to change performance. Coaching will. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. I totally agree with you. And I always felt like my best managers were actually the greatest coaches. And, you know, they hired me or worked with me because they knew or felt like I was going to be able to actually get the job done and move it forward on my own. They were there to support me, you know, spiritually, mentally, and, and, uh, you know, strategically in, in terms of the business. So yeah. that that's, makes me feel good to hear. You know, of course, we care about demos. We're, we're all about the demo here. And this is Demo Diaries. Uh, what would you say is, in your experience, like the best demo that you've seen or what are good demos or great demos look like? The best demos that I have experienced and been through and seen are the ones that start with exemplary discovery. And I would even say not even discovery, but uncovery, where you you understand so much about the day-to-day workings of the person who's going to be using this tool that you can walk them through it as if you were in their role. So for example, like if you've done good discovery and you've understood what it is that they do in their day-to-day, what their biggest challenges are, what they're trying to accomplish, what they've tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked, why they think that that worked or didn't work, and what they believe the best solution would look like. If you've answered those, those layers of questions in discovery, then when you get to the part of the demo, it's less of a product dump or a feature pitch as it is. So you, so you, you told me that you were struggling with how to um, do this particular piece in your business and that if you're not able to solve it this way, then the reports are going to be off at the end of the month and your bosses aren't going to be able to make the decisions that they need to make because the reports aren't accurate. 
but it takes you so long to make these reports that it's at the end of the month, it's a scramble for you. And that's when mistakes are likely to get made. But what if you were able to do it this way? When you were able, not what if, but when you do it this way and you go through the particular feature, how would that change your day-to-day for you? How would that change the end of month view? What impact would that have on your role? That kind of style of questioning is less about showing and telling and more about collaborating with them throughout the demo. You don't need to show them everything. You need to show that individual or that group of individuals the thing that is most important to their day-to-day. And each group of individuals that you're gonna work with are gonna find different things within the platform that you're demoing to be important. And users are gonna care about how do I get into this? How do I use this? How do I do my job function? Whereas managers are gonna care about how does this make my job easier? How does this make me look good to my peers? And executives are gonna care about how does this impact the decisions that I need to make in the business? So if you can think of demos along that hierarchy and being embedded in their world, no demo will look exactly the same. And what do, on the other side, what do bad demos typically look like? Bad demos, how many of those have we all sat through? (laughs) Bad demos are the ones that they sound all alike. Like it's a cookie cutter. You could be saying this to anyone and it would be the exact same demo. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I tell a story of how I did a bad demo a couple months ago, frankly, because I didn't uh, do discovery because I was going meeting the meeting in the meeting for, you know, for a, a long time. And I just didn't manage my time properly. And that led to a bad demo experience. And, you know, again, I didn't do discovery. I didn't do my, uh, what I call pre-approach research too, is the research that I do before I do discovery and I just showed up and did a cookie cutter demo and the individuals that I did the demo with in the beginning uh, or the first call, I should say, this was the second call. They were like, after they're like, it's the same demo you gave me. Right. And I was like, you know what? You're right. right. The feedback was right. And I took it and, you know, and it, it reminded me. Carol, thank you so much for your time. If folks want to learn more about your organization or follow your content, I know you have a couple events. Maybe you can uh, give us some information about the events that you have coming up here because you're doing a lot online. Yeah, so I'm doing uh, AISP's uh, Virtual Sales Summit on April 20th. Um, And then next week I'm doing, um, I have a TV, a monthly sales TV show called What Sales Can Learn From, where we interview research and analysts and experts um, on these, some of these very subjects. And I'm excited next week on the 13th, I believe I'm interviewing Deb Calvert. And we're going to be talking about some of the research that she did around her book, Stop Selling and Start Leading, about what is it that buyers actually want from sellers today and how can we deliver those things. So check out the What Sales Can Learn From and the AAISP Summit happening on April 20th and 21st. I mean, all of these things are virtual, but Um, we also seek to sort of engage and interact with everyone there. So hopefully everyone can check those out. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much again for your time. I hope to go up to the North uh, New England, Northeast area and uh, meet everyone in person. And uh, maybe we can, I don't know, do do an in-person event here uh, coming up soon. That would be awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again and uh, have a great afternoon. Thanks, you too, Mark.